Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Games We Love podcast. I'm your host, Aaron White, and this show features conversations with gamers from all over the industry. Journalists, developers, streamers and podcasters, critics, and at times even some of my diehard gamer friends and family will join me to talk about one of their personal favorite games. To learn more about what this project means to me and what I hope that it can be for you, the listener, be sure and check out our short introductory episode at the top of your podcast feed. If you end up liking what you hear, subscribe, tell a friend, and you know maybe even leave us an oh-so-helpful five-star review. Now, in this inaugural episode of the podcast, I am super excited to welcome my guinea pig and <laughs> introduce you all to my friend, a film critic in Detroit, Michigan, Michelle Kisner. Hey, how's it going? It is great, Michelle. And I, again, I am just so thankful for you being willing to step into this with me and roll through this first episode where we kind of establish what this podcast is going to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this came about because I had another podcast idea on the table and I had talked to you about it already and you were excited to come on and talk about a certain game. And it just fit perfectly with this new idea. It was like, man, that's a game we need to talk about because people out there are completely torn over this one. And I need to have the perspective of someone who truly loves it. The only way I can describe you for folks listening right now is by calling you a film critic, which is what I think most people know you as. And so I was wondering, how long have you been doing this film critic thing? The film critic thing I've been doing, I want to say... Maybe six years, six or seven years now. Actually, kind of fell into it by accident. I just have always been a movie buff. But one day my buddy was like, oh, I need a writer for my website. And I just sent a review that I had just typed up. And he was like, wow, that's amazing. You should come write for us. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I just started writing for them. And it just ended up like, you know, being something that I was kind of okay at. Maybe some people would say good. I don't think so. I don't know. But. It turned out to be something that I really enjoyed doing, and I just kept doing it over the years, and it's actually panned out pretty well. So how long have you been doing this now? Uh, Between six or seven years, I'd say. And you have a website, is that right? I write for two websites, both owned by somebody else, and I'm on RottenTomatoes.com as well, and then I'm in the Detroit Film Critics Association. So see, I would say that those things definitely qualify your writing as probably being more than good. If you've achieved those things. (laughs) I hate saying I'm good at anything because then I feel like, you know, like somebody's gonna be like, oh, you're good, eh? You know, like I'm all egotistical or something. But I I would say my writing's adequate to good. (laughs) So writing obviously is one creative outlet you have. Um, Another thing about you is that you have almost 5,000 friends on Facebook, which I have to imagine are not all people you know in person. No. Oh, no. It just seems to me that you are the type of person who loves interacting with people and having conversations and kind of you generate a lot of great content for people to get in and sometimes argue, but, you know, sometimes discuss and learn. Uh, is that something that's like really important to you? Yeah. And actually, this also kind of came by accident. I just one day decided to make my Facebook public. And I figured I was like, oh, it's already like a built in like follower list if I want to write reviews and they can read my reviews. And it just like blew up into this big thing where like a lot of people say they like my Facebook because it's just like I don't feel like I'm like an influencer. I don't really like that word 
I'm a hobbyist. I'm a person that enjoys things. And I love sharing what I love with other people. And I love hearing what other people love. And I, I try to keep like an open book and I don't like to gatekeep and everybody's got a voice and let's all enjoy our thing and let's all discuss it. And everybody's opinions are valid, you know, about something. And I just, I want a, a welcoming area where we can all discuss pop culture books and video games and movies. And it kind of like everybody seems to kind of dig it. So. Yeah, I got to admit, I dig it too. And when I discovered it, I was a little shocked because it just didn't seem like the norm, you know, and there are, you're right. So many people in the film critic world do use their social media purely for that influencer perspective. And it's, I, I don't want to say it comes off as fake or anything, but it, it's, it's something that you have to do when you're trying to get people to read your work. You're trying to constantly find ways to put it in front of new people's eyes and have them discover it. But yours is just, it has become such a welcoming joyful place to read. And I, I love that it, it's not somewhere where you seem to curate what you're posting. It's you're just talking about what you love, whether it's horror movies or anime, or in this case, why you're here to talk about video games. And so tell me your history with gaming. Well, my mom has like baby pictures of me holding controllers and stuff. I was just drawn to them immediately. My dad, rest in peace, was a gamer. And he's the one that got me into gaming. My first console was an Atari 2600, which was his console. So I played my dad's Atari 2600. And then for Christmas, I got an NES. So that was like, what, 1987, 1988? And it was on from there. Like, I was just hooked on gaming after that. So every system, I just went Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Nintendo 64. I was kind of a Nintendo person, Dreamcast then PlayStation, and then Xbox for a while, and then play just every system, portable gaming. It was just a hobby that I was really into my entire life. Well, you mentioned Xbox at one point. So what do you do now? Like, Where are your primary gaming take place? PS4. I went Xbox, Xbox 360, and then I had a PS3, and then PS4, and they started getting real expensive. <laughs> of the consoles yes so like half oh, yes. every, all of them, every generation so i chose one i went ps4 because i tend to like the weeb games like the japanese games and sony that's more their their wheelhouse than xbox which you know xbox isn't bad it's just the games i like to play they tend to be more on playstation so i went over to playstation 4 i have a vita i have a, like a 3ds I want to switch, but now you have to like buy them in a dark alley from a scalper for like ten million dollars. <laughs> At this so, point, yeah. Switch. I've been wanting to switch, and then I decided to get one. Everybody in the universe wanted one, so. Yep, it's not the best time to try and find one, unfortunately, with quarantine and Animal Crossing. They yeah. have sold out basically everywhere. <laughs> I highly recommend it, though. They're great fun, especially if you love your Vita. I can imagine you'll definitely love your Switch if you do any sort yeah. of like portable gaming it just makes that console just totally worth it i mean i don't even use mine portably and i think it's incredible i so if i was to take it with me places it would just be an insane value so you love japanese games which is in line with some of the movies that you like as well you like a lot of foreign stuff is that right yeah what are other favorites what are some of your favorite games of all time favorite games of all time earthbound Ooh, okay. uh chrono trigger Solid choice. In mine as well. Yeah. Final Fantasy VI specifically. 
I'm trying to think newer stuff. I really liked, I was super duper in the Mass Effect series. I thoroughly enjoyed that series. Uh, Metal Gear Solid series okay. is like my all-time favorite franchise. Man, just so many. I tend to, to skew more towards JRPGs. I play a lot of adventure kind of games. I love platformers. I'm loving the like indie retro revolution that's going on right now where they're like making all these pixel graphic games. I play the hell out of all of those. I like those Metro. Everybody hates this word, but Metroidvanias. I really like those. Mm -hmm. The only type of games I, I really don't like, honestly, are driving games because I'm just awful at them. I'm bad at driving in real life too. And sports games. Cause I just, I'm not interested in sports, but outside of that, I'm pretty game for anything. That's fair. That's fair. Well, it's good to have like that wide variety. And I like that, like connecting with people who have a wide variety and interest in different genres because you can mm -hmm. share those, you know, and you get to have a lot more recommendations that way. Yeah. Um, I've, I've even had some from you where I've been like, Oh my gosh, wait, what is that thing you're playing? <laughs> That's exciting. Awesome. Well, I want to move into our what we've been playing section. So, you know, I'm really curious what you've been playing lately. We've heard some of what you enjoyed in the past and what your favorite series are. But like, what has Michelle actually been gaming with in the last, say, several months? What have you been digging? And is there anything that you would highly recommend? I played Bloodstained, the Castlevania Symphony of Night-esque game. Trying to remember the name of it now. Bloodstained Symphony of the Moon, I think is what it's called. They all the, they all sound the same. It's like the same five words. They just like recombine them to make new Castlevania tiles, but it's not Castlevania. But it's made by the guy that made Castlevania. That was really good, actually. My little secret is I don't whenever I buy new games, unless I really, really gotta play it, I'll wait so it gets patched because it usually doesn't run super great like day one. So that one I actually waited a while because everybody was saying it wasn't running that great, and then they patched it. And then it was pretty smooth after that. Really enjoyed that one. And then I played Control, which I just beat like a couple of days ago. That game was a lot longer than I thought it was going to be. Like I kept thinking I was close to the end and like more stuff kept happening. Yeah. Speaking of games that need patching before you play them, it's it's a good thing that you <laughs> waited to play Control because it was notorious for that as well. And in fact, I had it very near my 2019 Game of the Year rankings and it was just i couldn't do it because it was an awful experience it was i was torn because the game was so much fun and i really got sucked into the narrative but when i would get into the combat even though it was a blast it was just the game would stutter and freeze and it was just it was it was miserable honestly um and you really had to kind of just fight your way through that when yeah. you when you played it when it first came out and it impacted my experience with it uh i'm super pumped for the dlc Unfortunately, I played it on Xbox, and so I don't get the DLC for three months. But what did you love about Control? Was it the narrative? Was it the third-person action mechanics? The story to it was very intriguing because, A, like, when you start it up, it just, like, drops you right into the story. Like, there's not really any – you're just, like, in the oldest house already. Like, the oldest house, is, for people who don't know, it's just it's just the place – where the game takes place it's like a paranormal building that changes inside and out and it's like got like a lot of weird kind of sci-fi stuff going on in it but they just drop you into the situation i was like did i miss did i press start accidentally you know and skip like an intro or something but actually the way it's done is very well because there's like an air of mystery like when you get there and the game is very good at doling out little bits of information to start filling in the the lore in the background so the story i i loved 
they do this, and Remedy does this a lot. They they mix live action and with game footage, and they're like pretty much the only people that do it right. Like it's seamless, you know. And these are all real actors playing these characters, and and they scan them and put them in the game too. But it's just a fantastic mixture of different mediums, and it's very intriguing and it sucks you in. And then the the battle system was great. It has a, a pretty steep learning curve like that game was kicking my butt in the beginning for real and even towards the middle in the end to be honest i mean it has no difficulty levels i didn't notice that yeah you can't change okay it. they were that confident that they balanced that game correctly enough to where they said you know what you get one way to play it and it's the way we tuned it and you can't change it that's that's bold it is bold <laughs> there's parts that are hard and there's parts there was a guy i was stuck on a boss damn near an hour straight and i was getting frustrated and i went online and everybody that was doing the tutorials they were like barely scraping by in the tutorial i'm like you're not even helping me dude like you barely beat this person the game is very like it's a skill based and the better you get at it like whenever you die it's usually your fault too like the game isn't unfair you get better and then you finally get past the part it's very satisfying once you progress i had a really similar experience with that one and i did i loved it i just the difference in weapons that this gives you it's so cool because you only have like one gun right and yet it's like the modifications to your one gun that changes what it can do whether it gives you ranged or spread attacks or basically like an equivalent of a magic type attack and heavy attacks and all these and it's just really really intriguing to do it and it's just it's so visually striking yes i mean Gosh, it is seriously like playing a cinematic at times. It just the way that action is popping off on the screen and it's so colorful. And... Yeah, I was constantly taking pictures with the photo mode. Oh, because there everything looks cool. Like I just, I'm like, man, that's a good desktop, you know, background. Ooh, that's good too. Ooh, I like this part. Like everything just looked cool. Yeah, I totally agree. I, and I get sucked up in their lore for Remedy games. I was a big fan of Alan Wake, one of their previous games, and. This is sort of connected to that in a, a way their universe that they're sort of building here has me really intrigued. And it's interesting because that paranormal investigation concept that this is exploring, it's very X-Filesy mm-hmm. and it's hit or miss with me usually because I think a lot of media can go way overboard and into the we don't make sense zone. This made just enough sense that it kept me grounded and just just there. I was I was in it and I read every scrap of paper. I wanted to find every, you know, note that was in a trash can or every sticky note and see what was on it and like that's how this game tells its story and it's rewarding. It's rewarding for players who are willing to put in the time and are there for more than just the gunplay, yeah. right? And if you're there just to watch these enemies explode in their orange bursts of amazing pixel goodness, you can do that, but if you want more, you can spend the time and actually get more, and I love that about it. They really set themselves up well, I think, for a universe, because the way it's set up is there's, like, all these weird peripheral things happening that they could just they could easily just slide into a side story. Like, oh, this is a person that works at the oldest house, and this is their adventures, or this is a weird goings-on at another location, and we have to go investigate something there. I feel like they really set themselves up perfectly to have, like, the shared universe and have little side stories that could easily just scoot off in all these different directions. And the fact that they're, like you said, it's like X-Files. So like they could just have different situations and and characters and just explore whatever they want. I was like, man, this is smart. (laughs) 
It is. It's it, like you could almost have like an episodic yeah. nature to where it would continue. Are you planning on playing the DLC soon? Yeah, I actually took a break because I wanted to start Final Fantasy VII Remake. Good choice. So I'll play that and I'll just go back and I won't be so burnt out on control and then I can hit the DLC up. Perfect. I love that methodology. That's kind of how I approach a lot of games, too. Uh, well, for me, I've been playing a lot of different things, but one in particular is Ratchet and Clank from 2016. I, are you familiar with that? Yeah. It's PS4. Yeah. So, okay. I'm a big fan of the Ratchet and Clank series going back two decades now, I guess, which is crazy to think about. But Insomniac is the developer, and, you know, I played this game when it came out in 2016. It is essentially, it is a remake or reimagining of the very first Ratchet and Clank game that they made in 2002, but it's so much better graphics, of course, and tighter gameplay. And it's a little bit more of a self-reflective story. It's it's not, it's very meta, yeah. to say the least, to the point where they actually had a tie-in film made about this game, which was Eh, it was okay. I mean, it basically tells the same story, and it's it's fun. It's got Rosario Dawson. It was like CGI animation? It was. It was basically like the game's cutscenes, only oh, okay. in a movie. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was all right. It wasn't bad. It just didn't do anything special. Yeah. But what this game is for me is something, I don't know, it just it scratches an itch in the platforming adventure genre that, that I don't get from many other games. It takes me back because... When I was in my early 20s in the 2000s, uh, I was obsessed with Ratchet and Clank and Jack and Daxter and Sly Cooper mm -hmm. and these platforming franchises and their long-running characters and sidekicks, and they were just so much fun. But what really is the appeal of Ratchet and Clank, even beyond just this, this cool partnership of a little miniature robot and this creature called the Lombax, is the guns. So this game is built around the idea that you have all of these different wild, wacky, ridiculous guns. And they are, there's a gun that I have that turns things into sheep <laughs> and it can be upgraded and turn things into goats. <laughs> and I have, you know, weapons that are pulsing drums of electricity that can connect to each other. And it just gives you uh, so many different ways to kill things <laughs> and explode these enemies. And they always explode into these big, gigantic piles of bolts, which you collect and you can spend, of course, to upgrade your weapons and make them even more powerful and even more crazy. And so the weapon upgrade system in this game is just off the chain. It's so much fun. The sheep one in particular, which is one of the most famous weapons, you turn things into a sheep and so it's like a, you shoot like a solid stream and you have to kind of hold it down. And eventually as it powers up, it, it works faster, but it will pop and, and the enemy will turn into a sheep. Well, once you upgrade it to a goatinator instead of a sheepinator, <laughs> they turn into goats and you can unlock a power where these goats will turn around and fart a rainbow on another enemy and turn that enemy into a goat. And so it becomes this cascade where you just, you put a couple goats on the screen and then they start turning all their fellow enemies into goats. And it's just, it's funny, right? It's like a goat farting rainbow party. <laughs> it is, it is, it really is. And it just becomes like a hilarious experience. So you're having fun. You get to do all of this different stuff. There's a weapon called the Groovatron, which basically you throw it out there and it's a disco ball. And every enemy in the game starts dancing. Even the vendor machine that you get your weapons and upgrade them in, it starts dancing. Like everything in this game, like if you could have 
a big spaceship in the sky that's shooting you. It will stop what it's doing and it will dance. It is the most hilarious thing. They all have their own unique animations. I love it. I love, love, love it. So much so that I decided I was going to get the platinum trophy. I decided I'm going to start doing a little trophy hunting only on games that don't make me go crazy. Unfortunately, I did not read up early enough on what the trophies were. And so I made my playthrough with this. I've been playing it with my son and we've been having a lot of fun just kind of taking turns. He's a teenager. And so we would alternate. So you would do in this game, you have like the ratchet sections, which are you know normal platforming with the guy with the guns, the Lombax. And then you also get to play as Clank every once in a while, the little robot. And those are much more like puzzly sections where you're trying to figure out how to put these pieces together to unlock a door or something because he's not very combat focused, obviously. So we would alternate these sections. There's mini games where you can like ride a grind rail or you can do hoverboard races. And it just, it was really awesome. We were trophy hunting and we've realized too late that one of the trophies requires you to make everybody dance with this Groovatron weapon I was telling you about. And unfortunately there's no tracker. And I feel like it's such a major fail in this game because you don't know what you're missing. And so if you miss an enemy and you don't get that enemy to dance throughout your playthrough, you have to start all over. So I am now on playthrough number three. I started <laughs> playthrough number three. I have all the other trophies ready to go except this one. So now I have to go through the game with a stupid checklist and I literally have it on my table and I'm marking off enemies as I make them dance. So that part's frustrating, but overall it's just been so much fun and it's given me like one of my favorite things about gaming in general is when you get to create memories. And so this past weekend we were grinding for this hoverboard trophy and we had to beat the gold race in, you know, X amount of time or whatever. And we tried this thing for an hour, an hour and a half, I think. And we had to get it in a minute and 35 seconds or less. And we kept getting 137, no. 138. It was frustrating, to say the least. We were both starting to yell. I was ready to darn near just chuck the controller <laughs> at the screen. And finally, I was like, you know what, Tyler? I'm done. I can't. I can't. We we can come back and try later, but maybe it's just not worth it. It's too frustrating. And he was like, give it to me. And he, he wanted to keep trying. I knew he was getting upset. I didn't want him to get upset. And he got it. He got it. Like we had to perfect the route. We had to perfect the every single motion had to be right. And the joy that we got to have for like the rest of that day, just it, it made us so happy. We got, we were hugging and high-fiving and being a little angry at the game and cursing it out. But hey, you know, whatever, it deserved that. But we, we had so much joy, you know, and it's something we will always remember. And that's, it took me totally back to my childhood and what I remembered about doing games. Like you said, with your dad, right? Like you grew up. And those are, to me, some of the, the most awesome things about games is that you can have that shared experience with somebody. And so I, you know, I highly recommend Ratchet and Clank. If people haven't played it, if you have kids especially, you can just put it on easy and go enjoy the heck out of it. It's not hard. It's short. It's fun. It's colorful. It's hilarious. The writing is they are constantly referencing real life things and making fun of it and the fact that they are referencing real life things. So yeah, it's, it's a blast and uh, it's definitely worth playing. The idea behind this podcast is primarily that I want to have people on to talk about a game that they're passionate about and tell everybody what they love. Um, it's, it's kind of a, to be in opposition of like the normal game podcast or even the normal movie podcast, which I also host one of where there's so much 
criticism out there and people seem to take a lot of joy in tearing things down <laughs> and oh, yes. you know there's a place for that it's fine but it's just not my thing i, I get i get hyped uh, easily and i like to be excited about things and so i want to hear about a game people love and so here's a game that you and i have talked about on and off on social media for the six months or so it's been out and you love it i don't i said i didn't and then that was before i ever tried it then i tried it and i'll get there later but you love Death Stranding, um, and this was a Hideo Kojima game that came out in late 2019. I got I, I to ask, so why is this a favorite for you? Like, what is it that you love about Death Stranding? Well, to start with, Kojima is my all-time favorite video game maker, developer, director. Just everything about his aesthetic, like the way his mind works, the way he makes his game he is just my all-time like i'm a fangirl kojima i love him just so your listeners know this isn't going to be the most (laughs) i I mean i'm going to be you know fangirling about him a little bit so as a lot of people know even people that aren't super into kojima know he had a very public breakup with konami he was making the metal gear solid games the man has like these these ideas gestating in his mind that he wants to do, but he was kind of like trapped into making these Metal Gear Solid games because as we all know, Konami is all about franchises and they will run a franchise into the ground. And Metal Gear Solid 5, it wasn't a bad game, but you could tell Kojima's heart wasn't in it. He wasn't getting to do what he wanted. It, it was essentially unfinished. There's that whole brouhaha where they took his name off the game. They wouldn't let him go to the Game Awards to get his awards for the game. He broke up with Konami in an ugly kind of a way. And then Sony was like, oh, well, we'll scoop him up. And Kojima got to open his own studio, finally on his own, do his own thing, 100% new IP, his masterpiece work, all by himself. Everything's under his control, doesn't have to answer anybody but himself. So Kojima Studios open for business and what he's make he makes death stranding and it's the most kojima thing that's ever kojima ever and it's just like <laughs> the dude's an auteur and auteurs are very rare in video games you have like your your david cage and your yoko taro and stuff like that but games for the most part are very like company games you know like there's a konami mm-hmm. game or a capcom game you very rarely have a game that's like a a person game like so-and-so made this that's more of like a movie thing Mm -hmm. but in games it's kind of rare and kojima is one of those few video game makers that his name alone sells the game and it encapsulates people expect a certain thing from a kojima game so death stranding i was just slobbering over every little piece of detail coming out and it was like cryptic i still i honestly i didn't know what it was about when i had it in my hand when i had ordered it and they sent the game to me I still didn't know what what it was going to be about. That's how cryptic he was. I knew it was like a delivery guy and like a baby and Mad Mickelson was in it. And that's it. Nobody knew what was going to happen. It was great. It was a complete mystery. <laughs> it really was. I mean, I remember the lead up as well. And it was just it was like these weird little details coming out. Like we would get like a little nugget on social media released by Kojima, who actually uses social media. And it'd be like, oh, hey, by the way, you can pee in this game. And, we're, and people were like, what, why are you telling us this? Like, why? <laughs> and that's all he would say. You can pee in it. And then that's it. No extra information. You have a baby in a pot on your stomach. That's it. And you're just like, why? What? And the baby cries on the PS4 controller. You're like, what? <laughs> so he is known for this style you're talking about, right? Which is 
incredibly cinematic, it's incredibly epic in scope, and it is mind-bogglingly weird storytelling. It doesn't make sense in many, at least in any straightforward way uh, most of the time. And Metal Gear is similar, and I think people had maybe an easier time kind of connecting to the Metal Gear series because it's so steeped in like a, a militaristic world that people can kind of relate to or at least relate to other media that they've consumed. And so mm-hmm. I want to know from your perspective, how do you feel Death Stranding fits into his style? And is there anywhere that it differs that you actually prefer? Kojima, I like to jokingly say he's a Western otaku. He's like an otaku for Western media. Like if you follow him, he's really into like American movies, art house, like Tarkovsky and all that kind of stuff kind of filters into his vision. But he also loves stuff like Rambo. He loves like, like Metal Gear was his love letter to Western action military movies. He's obsessed with military stuff. He's obsessed with machines. He's obsessed with systems like his earlier games like police knots and snatcher they're like cyberpunk very into like how machines affect society and how society comes together with these machines or how the machines drive them apart so death stranding still has this kind of like idea about how people interact with each other and how they exist within their environment but he just went this completely different route with it where like he kind of he takes he takes away the military and in fact what's interesting about kojima is the metal gear solid games you could go through them killing people but every single game you could beat it and not kill a single person and very few games have that option and he kind of basically invented stealth gaming back in the day like in the 80s and then death stranding he takes this idea even further to where if you kill people it is this momentous event where it really is detrimental to you to kill somebody if you kill somebody it jacks your game up it will make the game really hard for you if you kill people like he's had this idea in his head about killing being wrong and there being a different way to get past situations and death stranding is the ultimate version of this idea that you can you can progress in a game and not have to kill that's not the only way to play a game like he plays around with the idea of what makes a game? A lot of people say Death Stranding is like a walking simulator. That's the biggest criticism people have for it. I mean, it is, but it's like the ultimate walking simulator. He is, is gamified walking. Yeah. The very act of walking in the game is mechanic. The basic premise of the game, I'll just see, I'm not going to say spoilers, but the basic premise is there's been a, an apocalyptic event on Earth where basically the barrier between life and death has been erased And when the spirits from the purgatory type place are coming onto the earth and they hurt and kill people, life and death is kind of nebulous and combined together in one area. So there are these spirits called BTs and people are scared of them because they can't see them and they like kill them. So everybody has separated themselves in these little cities to keep from not having to go outside and they just like stay in a little city and they can't get anything. So they have delivery people that basically keep them alive, which is weird because sounds he totally pretty predicted. familiar. <laughs> yeah, he basically predicted coronavirus and social distancing. It's like social distancing in the game. Everybody's separated and they rely on delivery people to like get them stuff. I was like, what? You work for Amazon and Death Stranding, essentially. Yeah, 
you're basically like Uber Eats and like Amazon. <laughs> so like there's this apocalyptic world going on. And when you kill somebody or somebody dies, they have something called a void out, which is like this giant implosion that happens when their body disintegrates because life and death are like on the same plane now these two opposites are colliding and causing explosions they're not supposed to maintain the same space and now they are so that's why in this game if you kill somebody it makes this giant crater in the world that you have to navigate around for the whole rest of your dang playthrough so i actually never killed anybody in the game but i've talked to people where they were willy-nilly killing people and it made the game like almost impossible to them because there's all these giant craters they're having to navigate around but that's an interesting thing that's a kojima thing like he He's testing what is a game. And the man knows game mechanics down to a science. He's so good at making games that he can deconstruct a game and play around with what is a fail state in the game. Like in this game, you kind of can't die. I mean, you can, but you reincarnate. It's part of the game to die, actually. Like there's like a mechanic for when you die, too. Mm -hmm. He's gamified every single aspect of gaming to the point where it's like this weird, seamless thing and it's almost formless. And I think a lot of people can't deal with it because they're just not used to they're used to game being point a point b live die but this game everything is kind of like this nebulous in between state it's very art house like i said if you like art house movies i feel like you would really like this game but if you don't like art house movies then this game is it's like a game version of that so yeah now you, you talked about the the mechanics so people call it a walking simulator and that's you know because most of the game you are walking and you are trying to go from point A to point B to deliver packages and to essentially to expand upon the narrative that you were giving the state of the states, the state of the America at this point is completely broken apart. It's very apocalyptic, like you said. And so you're trying to kind of connect this network to get everybody to where they can communicate again. And I actually think that that is maybe one of my favorite parts of this game is it, it has this multiplayer social system that you can't play with another person, but this game is always online. And so you can interact with other people by leaving tools and like you can leave a ladder in your game and it will pop up in my game and it will assist me at the time that I need a ladder to get across that thing. And there's a ladder there and I can quite literally, and the game tells you to do this quite literally to smash that like button, uh, very meta. And, and, and I will, I, I'm sitting there and I'm just smashing it because I'm like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm giving this like. And so these likes that you get will translate into essentially like helping characters level up and, and get better and, and stronger. And it's such a neat interface uh, mechanic there. I really enjoyed that part of the game because it felt to me like it was indicative of what Kojima was trying to do. He's trying to tell this story about disconnected people who are coming back together and they're finding ways to work together and they're connecting They're and they're, you're doing it through this system. Even if you don't see each other and physically interact, um, it was just, it was kind of brilliant. And then the walking part, the walking simulator part, I think people say that because this game is very unique in that you have to move your left and right stick. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you don't just move straight. You're, you've got all this stuff you're carrying on your back. You have to balance it and you can fall over <laughs> and it damages the stuff. And that's not good. And it's very you have to move slow. I think that's part of it. Is it, it requires patience. 
it's grueling in the beginning. It really can be. And I don't think a lot of gamers like patience, but what did you find calming about that? Did you find it or did you find it calming? Did you find it unique? I think what dug this game's grave for a lot of gamers is I would say the first six hours of the game or like tutorial almost. You start out with like barely any tools. It's hard to get around. Like a little stream is like, you're like, oh crap, here's a stream coming. I got to trudge through this. Every single aspect of the environment has been reclaimed by nature. There's no easy way to get anywhere. Anytime you got to go somewhere, it's hard. You're trying to balance your stuff. You're falling over. It's hard. It's hard work, but it's done purposely. Like the game has some of the most tightly balanced progression. Every single little tool you get, he doles them out to you like every couple of hours. You first get a tool that helps you walk a little better. And later you're building vehicles and all kinds of crazy stuff. But there's this feeling of progression. And it's very satisfying to get a package and you got to go from point A to point B. And point B is really far away. And you're trudging and you're doing your thing. You're drinking your monster. You're peeing your shrooms out on the ground. And and then you finally start coming over the crest of a mountain and that low roar music starts coming up. You're almost there and you're standing at the top of the mountain and you see your destination there in the distance. And you're like, I'm almost there. It's so satisfying when you get to the spot. I've never felt like that in any other open world game. A lot of open world games, they cheat eventually and give you fast travel. And by the time that's open, nobody wants, they just use a fast travel, not Kojima. I mean, later you get like zip lines and stuff. You have like, one fast travel option, but it you have to like get rid of all your stuff before you do it, so it kind of sucks and you don't really use it. But this game makes you explore the wilderness. You see every inch of the open world in that game. And I like that you touched on the idea that it's meta because in the game you're trying to connect people and in real life you're connecting to real people and helping each other. And the game's smart because there's this thing called a chiral network, which is like basically like the internet in that game. And until you connect a region to the chiral network, you can't use other players' tools. So every time you get to a new region, you got to do it with no tools. You have to use your own stuff. And then when you get to the chiral network and you turn it on, everybody's tools pop up on the map and it's easier. So he makes you experience what it's like to do things with no help and then shows you how much easier it is if you all work together. The whole entire game is, is about the more you help people, the more they help you. And everybody is better because of it. You help people on the chiral network and they give you tools. One guy gives you like a power exoskeleton so you can walk faster. The game's all about connections and, and how if we work together, it's easier for everybody. But if everybody separates themselves out, it's harder for everybody. It's, it's like a genius idea. It really is. Like, I mean, on a high level and a conceptual idea and the mechanics are tight for what it is. What do you think about like the cinematics? Because like you said, the, so I played maybe 10 to 15 hours. So I got past that initial slow burn. And I mean, you're absolutely right. There was a point where I wanted to stop playing for the night and it, the game launched me into, I kid you not, 30 straight minutes of cutscenes. Like I couldn't stop. I could not just, I couldn't like save and pause. Like I had to just go through these cutscenes. And that was, that can be frustrating. It can, I think it can turn some gamers off, especially when they maybe don't understand the story, even if it's like really pretty and really well acted. Did the story work for you or did you just kind of like the game in spite of the story? Oh, no, I love the story. But Kojima is famous for his infinite cutscenes. That's like his thing. 
He actually wanted to make movies before he made games. And he went into games to get into making movies, but it just turned out he ended up being like a game director. It just, you can like look at interviews of him and stuff. And he talks about he was filming like little short films and stuff. And that's what he was really passionate about. I guess his parents were very much into film. So his love of film really comes into his games because his cutscenes are just long. And especially because this game, I think, is the first game he's, like, really, truly left to his own devices to do whatever he wanted. He had infinite money, and it's very indulgent. This is probably the most self-indulgent game I've ever played in my entire life. It's self-indulgent in a way that's super compelling. But then other times, there's some goofy stuff in there that I'm just like, you know, if you had an editor, they probably wouldn't let him put it in there. But this is, like, a guy's vision, unfiltered completely. Bad, good, in the middle, genius weird quirky stuff that probably should have been cut out but that's what i love about death stranding this is like a 100 percent unfiltered art piece by an auteur they let him do whatever he wanted so you get the highest of the high brilliance and the lowest of the low just what the hell's going on but the story's beautiful it, it was like blowing my mind when i was playing it just the stuff i was seeing it's so high concept you would never see this in any other game. And I know that's why people didn't like it, because it's just weird. It's just plain-ass weird, to be honest. And you got to be in down with the weird. Does it get any more mainstream understandable as it goes? Yeah. Is that part of it? Because, I mean, it starts off bonkers. But I, I wondered if it starts to, you know, as I was getting into it, it was like, I got past kind of understanding what the apocalyptic event was and that, you know, you got this death thing pulling you out into the ground and all the, all of this stuff. But like the fact that you're actually trying to connect with these humans across the country and there's rogue groups that are trying to keep you from reconnecting the states together that want the separation and they essentially want to be, it's like the people protesting right now, right? They like, they want to be liberated and don't want to be under the control of a governor who tells them that it's creepy how much this kind of <laughs> really on right now. So that part of it does get more, a little bit more mainstream then, or understandable. It does. He ties it up pretty well. It's just that he drops a lot of terms on you in the beginning of the game. Like he front loads the exposition to the front half of the game, but it's like a lot of terminology. Like they're just throwing stuff at you fast, like void outs, BTs, the beach, time fall, or like rain that makes time go faster. Like it's like a lot of crazy stuff, but it actually... It makes sense by the end. He builds on it and builds on it and builds on it. And once you have the the base layer of what he's trying to establish, it makes sense at the end. But it's one of those games, if you try to explain it to somebody that hasn't played it, you sound like you're like stark raving mad. It sounds like you're just went crazy. My boyfriend was like asking me, like, oh, Death Stranding. I try to explain. He's like, stop, stop. I don't know. Just <laughs> That's a Michelle game. Don't even explain it to me anymore. But it makes sense if you play it, honestly. And by the end of the game, he truly wraps it up in a pretty neat bow for Kojima. <laughs> it's also got a phenomenal soundtrack. Yes. I bought the advanced edition or whatever. When I got it, I got a special edition that was like 10 bucks more or something because I wanted the soundtrack because it's phenomenal. Like it is. There are moments in the game where when you're walking across the landscapes and it's, you know, it's just like you said, it's so barren. It's just you and these epic songs will kick in and i swear i feel like i'm frodo in the lord of the rings you know like i'm all alone and it's it was literally one of the most calming experiences i've ever had and i'm just walking like you said i'm just walking and sometimes i'm struggling to walk but i feel like i'm at peace 
like there's nothing trying to kill me in that moment and it's just me and nature and it felt really good right now because you know i don't really get a chance to get out i'd love to hike but i haven't been able to go hiking in a couple months now and so it was almost like a replacement for that and and i enjoyed that part of it for sure so it sounds to me where we land here and where you're what you're saying is it, it may not be for everybody and so would you say that it's it's okay that it's not for everybody oh for sure i always feel like any piece of of really good art, interesting art, it will not appeal to everybody. And that's okay. The best kind of art doesn't appeal to everybody because it's, especially because it's such a personal piece. A lot of games are very impersonal creations by like a group of people, not to say that they're bad, but like, say, let's take, for example, Street Fighter. Anybody can play Street Fighter. It's like a big group of people making it. It's got something for everybody. But it doesn't feel like there's a guy that's like, I'm controlling the vibe of Street Fighter, right? It's like Capcom makes Street Fighter. But this game is a Kojima game. Kojima made it. And if you like him, then you will be into like the game. It's it's exactly the same as a movie. There are people that are like, I like Scorsese. And anything Scorsese makes, I'm into it. And, I, and I'm a fan and I want to see it. Because I like what he does in his movies. It's exactly like that, but a game. Yep. It's it's just not common in a game, in, in the game world, for there to be singular visions. So if you don't like what Kojima does in general, then you're not going to like Death Stranding. It's just a lot of people call him pretentious. I mean, he's like an artist. Most artists are loved and hated in equal measure. And I think that's just part of, like, his aesthetic, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that you – the comparison you make there – to like loving a movie director or not because so one of the most surprising things that I've ever seen ever is that you actually put Death Stranding in your top 10 films of the year list and you're not just some blogger you're like you said you are part of the Detroit Film Critics Society you are Rotten Tomatoes Tomatoes (laughs) (laughs) Rotten Tomato approved film critic and in here you are putting a video game in your top 10 and I read the comments Michelle and (laughs) this is part of the thing when you open up your Facebook to like 4,700 people, <laughs> you get... Yeah, that was a spicy take, Ooh. to say the least. But tell me, so I guess in a nutshell, why did you do that? Like, what made this game worthy of being on your top 10 movies list? Well, what made me think about it in the, in that way was, A, it has like six hours, probably six to seven hours of cutscenes. If you like, just put them end to end and, you know, cut the game out. That's like seven hours of cutscenes. He also used real actors for everybody. Every single character in the game is a real person in real life. Even side characters are real people in real life. Uh, he basically put all his friends in the game. Like, you're familiar with Junji Ito, the manga guy? He's in it for no reason. I was just playing the game, and then, like, some guy, I went to deliver packages. It was Junji Ito for, like, no reason. But it's like every single person in the game's a real actor, a real person, or a musician that he likes. He has two film directors playing parts. He has Guillermo del Toro and uh, Nicholas Winding Refn. Mm-hmm. Two film directors are like in his game. He just called them up and was like, "Hey, you want to be my game?" And they're like, "Oh, uh, yeah." Also, uh, tours. <laughs> yes, very much so. Especially Nicholas Winding Refn. He is just as divisive as Kojima is in his field of work too. And uh, Matt Mickelson was in it, and he's fantastic in it, by the way, too. And oddly, <laughs> when I first heard about the game and I heard he picked Norman Reedus, I do not like Norman Reedus as an actor. Nothing personal. He's just kind of a little rednecky or whatever. I'm not kind of super into his vibe. He's so good in this, though. I know he's not like actually, I mean, he's acting, but he's, he was perfect for the role. He's very gruff and kind of like, 
doesn't like to be touched and and matter of fact and he's just great i i like norman reedus now because he was in this game like he made me like him that's cool and it's filmed very cinematically like and people will nominate cgi animated films for oscars and this is a cgi animated film essentially like the six hours of cutscenes, it's cgi I don't know. I just, I, I felt like it was a movie also. It was a movie and a game. It was two things in one. And I put it in my top 10 list and the whole world caught fire. Like people were so mad at me about it. I'm like, it's just a top 10 list on Facebook. Why is this so, <laughs> it was so controversial. Somebody unfriended me over that. Oh my goodness. That doesn't surprise me. That's the world we live in. <laughs> that is, that is the world we live in. But I thought it was awesome. I thought it was bold, like Kojima's game itself. Uh, and I, and it, it was kind of inspiring to me because I love me some much more like relatable <laughs> cinematic type games. Like I, I'm a big fan of, you know, the Uncharted series and of course, like things like The Last of Us. But even, even them, I think this one is more of its cutscenes are more like a movie. You kind of play little sections of the game in between them, but you don't play through them, I guess, is how I would say it. Like, where in Uncharted, you tend to interact with the cutscene in, in many of them, or God of War. They're known for that. This one, yeah, you you know, you play the game in between, and then you, you stop. And, like I told you, you watch a movie for 30 minutes before you're able to stop. And it's, and it's awesome. I mean, it is wacky and crazy, and the story is out there, but you can't deny the visual like strength of what you're seeing as far as like the actual quality of the work. It is really amazing. So that the facial animations in this game are some of the best I've ever seen ever. Absolutely top notch, fantastic facial animation acting. There's a scene towards the end of the game. There's a actor, I believe his name is, is Tommy Earl Jenkins. And he plays Die Hard Man, which is the stupidest and most amazing name in the game ever. Like, when he first came out, I was like, Die Hardman, get out of town. That's his name. That's a Kojima thing. Die Hardman. Okay, let's roll with it. This dude has an Oscar-worthy scene towards the end of this game with some of the best acting I've ever seen in a video game, ever. It was, it blew my mind how good this dude did in this cutscene. And I actually watched a video, a behind-the-scenes video, and he did it one take. And he said Kojima was just blown away by his performance and like was like, that's the take. I want it perfect cut good you're That's in so cool. i mean because i guess they go in and they and then they put all the mocap stuff on mm-hmm. and coachma takes them to the studio and they just act they they're all acting and with mocap on that's another reason i feel like it's a movie he literally casted it with actors and mm-hmm. they act the scenes out and then he puts it in the game engine it's like short films basically you know like i don't think really a lot of companies do that like you know no. they have little mocap and stuff but not to this degree like he legit has them acting with each other and captures every nuance of their like one guy was crying and you could see like snot coming out of his nose and like the whole nine yards it's like amazing i know i, I told y'all i was gonna gush over this game like, that's okay that's what i wanted it was like a legit <laughs> masterpiece i even play video games for like two weeks afterwards because nothing just seemed good enough i was just spent i'd spent all my gaming energy on death stranding and i was like you know i don't even want to look at video games right now nothing's going to be good (laughs) well that's awesome that is exactly the kind of passion that i was hoping to hear from you just to to get that perspective from someone that felt that way about this game um and to and to provide that like to to listeners like to say you know hey if you're on the fence about playing this game 
Maybe listen to the way Michelle reacted to it. Maybe that's something more than they've heard. Maybe they've only heard it called a walking simulator and that's all they can think about. And so they just kind of have bounced off of it completely. I I will say that was me until you mentioned this game and I was like, yeah, we're going to do this. I'm going to experience it too. And I can tell you, I don't love it the way that you do, but I have a respect for it that I did not have before. In fact, when I bought it, I literally made a folder on my PlayStation 4 and I called it Walking Simulators and I put this <laughs> and uh, what happened to Edith Finch in it. <laughs> oh, that's a good game too. I like. I know. One. I haven't played it yet, but like, I know what I know what I'm in for. But like, I, I just it was kind of a joke, uh, to be honest. But yeah, like I've got a respect for it, and I'm I'm still interested in it and intrigued by it in a way that I never was. And one of the powers of like hearing someone who loves a thing talk about it versus just someone who is like reviewing it because it's another game that came out that week. Um, so I really appreciate it. And thank you for sharing with us your experience with Death Stranding. So if people want to reach you, you're obviously very, t- very open to that. And you love interacting with people um, because you subscribe to the Kojima school of not being self-isolated, <laughs> <laughs> at least not on the internet, uh, maybe physical, physically when, when necessary. But where can people reach you online and where can they read your film work and stuff like that? If you go to spoilerfreemoviesleuth.com, that's where all my reviews are published. If you search Michelle Kissner on RottenTomatoes.com, all my reviews are on there as well. And if you friend me on Facebook, Michelle Kissner, K-I-S-N-E-R, I'll friend you as long as you're not a jerk. I mean, I'll block you if you're a jerk, but if you're not a jerk, welcome to the fold. I post, you know, if you want to see a sandwich I made or see me talk about Czech New Wave films, probably the same day, <laughs> or see some anime. If that sounds like your jam, then come on in. Awesome. Well, listeners, if you like what you heard here, again, please subscribe, share us with your friends, uh, follow the show on social media at The Games We Love on Twitter, uh, or you can find us on Facebook. You can find me personally on Twitter at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. My Facebook is also open, uh, like Michelle's. Uh, so if you want to find me there, you can. I also stream on Twitch Weekly, often open-world games that are perfect for drop-in viewing. I'd love to have you follow and come chat where we can talk about your favorite games, movies, or anything else that makes you happy. You can find me at twitch.tv Aaron L. White. Uh, We have multiple new conversations coming soon with some amazing folks from the industry, such as Blessing Eddie A.O. Jr. from Kind of Funny Games Podcast. Uh, We have YouTube film and video game critic Jeremy Johns. We have GameStop editor and podcast host Jacob Decker former IGN host Megan Sullivan uh, and a whole lot more my daughter is on the season one playlist for the games we love podcast as well so hope you stick around we've got a lot of great games to talk about Uh, you're not going to want to miss out so until then until the next episode thank you for listening and we hope to see you back